0: Welcome to the Writer's Room, where the funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny stuff for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host,
1: Emmy-winning writer and comedian, Jeff Cesario. It's important to glue shows, projects, writing, movies, whatever it is, to glue that together, you need someone around, and I think it is the greatest, funniest irony in show business that the guy with the benevolence and the diplomacy gets sent off to a room by himself. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's
0: no, that it, no joking. That means a lot to me. And the, the absolute truth is like when I got in a room with people like you, with people like Odenkirk and cross with Will Forte and, you know, Will Forte, the- right? There's, there's so many people over the years. Um, I'm a comedy fan, which is, and, and so I, I, there have been times. Oh, I did the. Uh, uh, oops, there's an Emmy showing, but the uh, the Spirit Awards I did with Froll and Mulaney, right? It's too, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm I'm not obnoxious. Um, uh, but like when I did the. Wait, you I,
1: started it.
0: There was a time with the. I Mulaney thought it was
1: Awards. an Emmy battle. Do we have another Jimmy Fallon show? Is there something <laughs> going? Uh oh, Gary's got nothing. Behind. No, no, I got nothing. <laughs>
0: I don't know, but there was, uh, I remember doing a show uh, when Mulaney and Kroll were, they hosted two years, right? And that was a case where, like the old days that you were mentioning, this is relatively recently, I wrote all the presenter stuff. And then there were, you know, seven people and Mulaney and Kroll writing their material, you know, Uh, and occasionally I'd write the intros for something and I tried to be funny. But, like, that was a case where my kids were now old enough and I've raised also, like, I'm a comedy club goer, I go see and which is something I learned gradually about getting to know some comedians socially there are a lot of comedians who will never go see and laugh at anyone else, they can't stand to go laugh laugh at other people I love to go see comedy, uh, I go see comedy all the time and uh, yes, so oh but I remember with my kids they were like, they, they, I came home from being around Kroll and Mulaney and I said this is like, I would pay And by the way, it was like the independent spirit award, so I basically was not being paid. But I would have paid to be in those rooms because I just, you know, I'm laughing nonstop uh, like the little girl
1: that I am. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's pivot to books. Uh, Let's start with the books about television. Yes. The the Friends books. I believe two? You wrote two Uh, Friends.
0: Yes. What happened was it's all a byproduct of – When I would do a cover story on something in Rolling Stone, a TV show, when I moved out here in 91 and learned how to drive, uh, just by being out here, I sort of was around the TV world and fell into it more and more. I'm actually, and it turned out a weird thing, is that as a music journalist, I'm such a music lover and fan. I probably was not very funny in my music writing but in tv i got i have no similar amount of respect for tv it's like (laughs) tv seemed much more disposable and silly to me so like i just have a laugh and make fun of tv when i when it struck me so uh oh but when i would do a cover story like and it was usually my wife who uh my wife i've been married almost 30 years and she said when she met me she goes Wow, you only listen professionally. Like at home, you've never listened to me. But that, <laughs> in the, but in, when you I'm going to
1: try to use that <laughs> next exactly. time I get busted. I'm sorry, dear, but I I only listen professionally. Yeah, I need to be paid to state. listen. No, but,
0: and it's true. Like as a journalist, I'm a good. I was a good listener. I can still be a good listener. And as a writer of copy for speakers, I I think that's the whole key. That if I can give one piece of advice to the kids out there who, if assuming there's any kids out there uh, who care about this stuff, I, the whole secret is you're not writing for your voice. And I sometimes feel com- comedians, that's a, that's a hard bridge to, cl- to to cross for a lot of them. Is you're writing for someone else's voice, and like so. Yeah. I'm a good listener. I remember Jeff Foxworthy, of all people. I don't know if you know Jeff. I'm good for a good friend. Well, he if you could tell him, I think I brought this up on our Lyle Lovett podcast or someone where someone knew him. I said, please tell him. He made a huge difference. Like I remember every comedian who ever told me something early on that meant something to me. Jeff Foxworthy on some, I think it was like the Blockbuster Awards, which, you know, <laughs> that actually existed. But I think I wrote, he was supposed to give out an award for People's Choice. It might have been People's Choice, uh, something like that. But he was giving out a reality, uh, like this is like in the first years of reality TV. And I wrote a series of you might be a reality fan jokes based on the you might be a redneck kind of jokes. Mm -hmm. And I remember he looked at it and he goes, David, I get so many idiots trying to write these jokes he goes but you're a really smart idiot because like these actually are things i would say in that in that voice or actually someone who i think you're you do go back with dennis miller right quite a ways yeah quite a ways what a great friend first award show joke i ever wrote was actually for a promo for billboard music awards co-hosted by dennis miller and Heather Locklear. Wow. Imagine that. I remember that. Man, wow. they gotta get them back together again. <laughs> but uh yeah. yeah, in any case and the world at, needs that. The world at the, is at, 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 the, at the promo shoot, which Joel uh asked me to write a couple like promo joke lines, Dennis Miller looked at like a card and went, Pretty good. And I was like <laughs> And I would later discover that was yeah. as good as it was going to get, you know, with me and Dennis Miller. But uh, yeah,
1: well, you know, the you hit on a very key point for comedians, which is listening. Uh We spend so much time on stage just talking and only listen many times if we have to, if there is a disturbance in the audience or sometimes if we want to go into the audience to talk. And even then you're often looking for triggers launch you into an area whether it's improv or written material already that just gets you back into your act so listening is not that high on the priority list for a lot of comics and it's a professional hazard it has to be that way a lot of the time that's why the transition is harder i think for stand-ups to acting than most people think because the key to acting is listening right and so learn your lines and you listen yes. you know and and so so that's a key. And then you hit on two, probably I would still say two of the top ten stand-up writers, maybe of all time, in Jeff and Dennis, uh, Jeff Foxworthy and Dennis Miller. Th- their writing is so crisp and so clean, and uh, made to appear so effortless that getting a compliment from them is uh, is a huge deal. It's also fun to understand what you're saying for me about writing for someone else because I took great pride when I stepped back and I had I had the great good fortune to have my first experience be Dennis Miller, who wow. I write and sound like kind of anyway. You know, we often, we were friends before either of us hit it and we right. often- if Dennis we,
0: Miller had a heart, he would sound very much like you.
1: No, no, no he's just he's just a different dude he's just different and he has to be exactly I'm,
0: I'm joking i i just i i love the political turn taken by dennis miller now <laughs> now yeah. i think it was but, great
1: what i'm saying is to to be able to shift in a room and say okay i'm writing for this person now let me either pick up their voice or listen to them more, or understand that I'm not writing for myself. That's really the most important thing for stand-up, writing in a room. I'm not necessarily writing for myself. Here's a great key Dennis told me, though. Dennis said, tell everyone in the room, just write great jokes. I'll turn them into Dennis Miller jokes. That's great. Wow, that's that's a good thinker there. That's a guy who says, just write what you write. That's funny. I'll handle it. I'll spin it. Oh, listen! I'm I, and I'm a major fan. I went to see
0: him when he. There was a couple of like, it wasn't was many years after the White album, his or the Off White album. What's it called? Right. called? Off White. The yeah. Off White album. Yeah. He did like a tour where he redid. He did like his album tour of the Off. He basically did that like at the coach house, I think it was. And I drove down with my wife and it just like shouting it out like he was doing Sergeant Pepper. We were so thrilled. It was so great. (laughs) I'm, I'm a fan. But what you're saying, it's exactly right. And I'll give you my story where, you know, I have had over the years, like older producers, older white guys tell me, you know, write this more hip hop or whatever. And I'm like, oh no, I do not write in a, I I am not trying to parody someone. I'm trying to capture who they are and then let them tell me where I'm wrong and where, you know, if they want to change a word, they change a word. I don't, I won't do that. Here's just an example of how it works when it works perfectly and under pressure. When Whitney Houston died the day before the Grammys, it was the first year LL Cool J was hosting. We had just rehearsed his whole opening monologue. It wasn't about Whitney Houston dying because right. that had not happened. Uh, he he was sick. He was filming his CBS drama. He called me at 4.30 and said, David, I'm going to go to sleep. So I'm okay for tomorrow. Tell me we're locked and loaded. And I said, Ella, we are locked and loaded. Get some sleep. An hour later, we're on the floor of the Grammys. We get the word Whitney Houston has died. And I had to call Ella and go, we are unlocked and we are unloaded because I'm going to do a whole new monologue for you, which I did, which was almost exactly what you, if you saw that show, which I'm very proud of that monologue, it was like transitioning from Bruce Springsteen doing, we take care of our own. You had to lead to Bruno Mars. In between, you had to deal with Whitney Houston's death. You had to again get people back up to watch Bruno Mars. It was tough. It was a tough moment. It was so, there was no time. I had like an hour to work on it. Sent it to LL uh and got the call back going, This is great. This is very powerful. One thing, it doesn't have a prayer. And I went, I don't write a lot of prayers, LL. <laughs> I don't know. You know, uh, it's been a while since my people wrote the prayers. You know, there might be a <laughs> more recent, big, good book that your people have written, but I it's not in my name. So why don't you write me a prayer and I will then I'll Jew it up so that it becomes not. <laughs> a religious prayer, but sort of just a more general ecumenical. Is that the word? Right. Prayer, Right. And that's what happened. And if you watch that monologue, I think you can see the prayer on YouTube, you know, and all that. I will tell you that everyone, the network, uh, Ken, Kenrulloch and I were the only ones saying he wants to do a prayer. He should do a prayer. And that is the the secret is what you just said. And I'll say it, reinforce it. We are not the people on stage. It is all about what the guy or woman or people on stage should want to say and is is right for them. Because if you force someone to say something, it will go very wrong. Uh, I once wrote the GLAAD Awards for a very macho actor. And I was told, you have to say, you know, straight gay you know bisexual transgender and i said with this guy i wouldn't say transgender and they said this is like 12 years ago i said why go it will just make him he will never be able to get that word he will and he it literally as when he when he tried to say the word he would trans you know it's like because i think he imagined his phallus coming off it was like he was not the guy to deliver it you need to be able to Think about who's delivering the message. And Well,
1: you know, the great Peter LaSalle, who produced The Tonight Show for a long time and then produced Letterman as well, uh, said it great. I called him for advice when I was just starting to produce Dennis Miller Live, and he said, do what your host does well. That's right. it. Just do what your host does well. If he hits the curveball, just pitch him curveballs. That's it. And I thought, wow, that's the most clear advice I've ever had in a writer's room. Let's get back to Very these true. books, because they fascinate me. These okay. these Friends books, then he did a Seinfeld thing. And these all tend to trigger from Rolling Stone stories, probably usually Rolling Stone cover stories, I'm guessing, because these are big franchises.
0: In the case of Friends, which really is the one that uh, I earlier when I started out, got out of college, I was an intern at Esquire I got to do a Woody Allen, not, not a book I would be doing now, but a Woody Allen quiz book, because uh, there was a Woody Allen quiz that ran in, in Esquire at that point, like a little like two-page thing. And someone mm-hmm. said, we should do a book. And they offered the author of the, Roland, of the Esquire piece $5. And they said, no, but there is a kid here who's kind of funny, <laughs> so maybe he'll do it. And I did a book. To get an agent and I got three dollars for (laughs) three dollars. And I gave one of them to my agent who was married to Thomas Pynchon may still be I don't it's like, you know, and boy did she not understand the books I was doing like when I called her when I was asked to do a friend's book years later I said, I was asked to do a friend's book and she said, what friend. And I'm like, no, the TV show Friends. And she goes, what's Friends? And it was yeah. oh, the biggest show in the world. So I just realized I might need to get a different editor who understands my. But yes, most most of them came out of articles early on. And then I started doing other kinds of books. I'm, uh, you know, I'll help friends with their autobiographies or I'll, uh, you know, I wrote a book about the world of people who run TV shows called Showrunners. Uh which was sort of, you know, so I've written different kinds of books, but a lot of them were sort of, I was the only one that the cast of friends would allow to write a book when they were first. Why um, is that? Because they liked my Rolling Stone cover story. They did not want a book because it was only the first season of friends, but the cast said, if you want us to cooperate, get the guy who did that Rolling Stone cover story. We liked him, which goes back to if, if, and I appreciate sincerely, like you saying, I was an amiable, or I'm not sure what word you use, but diplomacy uh, benevolence. and benevolence. I yeah. believe. I mean, so I think I, the good thing is, as a journalist, I never screwed people over. I, right. uh, I mean, if I had a take on him that was, I was always direct about, like my my. You knew what my sort of feelings were, and I remember actually uh, Steven Tyler uh, pulling me aside. He goes. You know what I like about you? I said, "What's that?" He goes, "You know that I'm the rock star because there was a period in journalism where it's almost like the writers, the journalists were stars, and I was not like that. You know, Bill was a bit of a star in a sort of, you know, in his own way, and, and Cameron Crowe is a star in his own right. way. I was never that kind of. I did the blue
1: collar Cameron Crowe, the, the
0: working man's." celebrity who, journalist.
1: You know, who comes in and just gets the job done.
0: Barely. Barely. Sometimes.
1: <laughs> now, but, but come on, that's a fascinating world, because you did your share of Rolling Stone cover pieces on pretty huge, many times insane rock stars. You're on the road many times with these people.
0: I'm only married because my wife – um Gary, Jeff, have you met my wife? I don't, I think you must have a few, but Gary, you know, yes, Fran. I do. Yeah. So like, She's lovely. No, no. But uh, the the absolute truth is I would never have thought about getting married. My parents' marriage ended spectacularly badly. And so it wasn't like I was wildly into the idea of getting married. Right. I was, I had just met Fran. I went on the road with Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney around the world. And Linda McCartney at uh, like we were coming back from South America, I think. And she said, David, do you have a girlfriend? And I now realize maybe she was going to set me up with some relative in that world of McCartney's. And I could have been a McCartney. I could have been a Beatle, <laughs> but I, I instead said, I just met this girl a few weeks ago. I really like, and she goes, I want to meet her. And I'm like, really? It's like very, very unusual she took a she t- she took a picture of me, which is like on the back of some of my books is my portrait for nothing. Said I want you to use this for your. I mean, she took a liking to me. But in any case, she she goes when we're in New Jersey. Uh, where's your wife? I go actually, she's in New York for business or something or some family function. She goes. I want her to come out to rehearsal, watch sound check, and have lunch with me. And we had lunch. At, at the end of lunch, she pulled me over and said, "David, do you think I know about marriage?" And I went like, a, again, a question has how many people have ever said that to you? Do you think I know about marriage? I go, yeah, you have a great marriage. You guys seem like, you know, super tight. And, you know, my parents weren't. And my dad wasn't a Beatle. So I'm very impressed with your marriage. And she goes, marry her right away. And I would never have thought to do that Uh And I I literally just sort of listened to her and got engaged by the end of that year and married within the year. And
1: so, wow, you are so lucky that that tour wasn't with Vince Neil.
0: (laughs) I will say, I not, only, been Mrs. Vince not only have I met Fran, but I've met two of your, uh, your sons as well. And uh, you, you sure righted the ship from uh, whatever you might've witnessed
1: as a boy, because you, uh, you seemingly have a, a beautiful family that is, uh, I,
0: I really appreciate that. Yeah. And Gary was the one who was nice to both of my kids when they were around, you know? Uh, no. So I, I really, I appreciate it. No, no joke. Beatles saved my life in different ways. Like even during the pandemic, this pandemic, I worked on two different books helping Ringo, you know, and like when you're going, when we were all going insane, it was like a great thing to like, you know, think about the Beatles for like days and months at a time, you know, it was just great.
1: What's the tour that you were on where you look back on it and go, I barely made it out of there alive.
0: Uh, lately, cause I love the band. I think about being around
1: guns and roses and like, <laughs>
0: uh <laughs> they're one of the only – and there was
1: a skid row. I also, Gary I, and I are both nodding. That makes instant perfect sense. Well,
0: here's the thing. I don't know if you even – I think you two probably know about this about me or would guess this. I've never done drugs. I've never been interested in alcohol or drugs. I loved music. I like women. I like my wife. I mean, I like – I I never gave a shit oh, about flip
1: her. that in editing so that your wife comes first.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> she knows the truth. Um but in any case, um uh so but the only times I ever got high in my life I think one exception, I think I did mushrooms in Mexico once with an old girlfriend. That was good. But I never liked drugs, never cared about drugs, but there were a few bands where they would say And I'll say Skid Row, maybe when they were on tour with Guns N' Roses, they would say, you can't stay in this room unless you get you smoke this joint, you know, joint. It wasn't like heroin. I wouldn't have done that. Right. right. Now it's legal. So I guess I can say that. But what's funny is every once in a while, I'll get something forwarded to me from YouTube. Like there's one. I don't know who the hell shot it, but like we are now. Uh, you and I not Gary we're now old enough that like there are definitely things you can forget not from pot smoke haze but from just time and like someone sent this footage where like it's Slash and Izzy and and Sebastian and they're all jamming in a room and I'm just there looking like a moron with my (laughs) bag and my notepad and uh more recently like someone sent me uh (laughs) it was like this someone sent me footage of, like, it's Tom Petty interviewing Ringo in, like, a fancy hotel sort of patio, and they sort of pan over, and it's, like, who is that dopey-looking Jewish guy sitting in the corner, and it's me, and I'm, like, I I said, how could I forget a moment where I'm, like, and then I gradually sort of go, oh, yeah, I think it was Tom said I have to interview Ringo for something, but why don't you come with me, and then if I get lost in my questions, you can jump in. And I'm I'm just sitting there like, you know.
1: There's he, a trust level, I think, that musicians of that caliber had with you, which is why you're in some of these shots. Uh, Petty being one of them, I think you you did a, a fair number of pieces with, with Tom. He adopted Tom and his first wife, Jane,
0: who has texted me during this conversation about... Wow. Another rock star who died, who I don't I guess I shouldn't say it, because I don't want to date your interview, but like about some musician in that world. But she texted me during this. They adopted me when I moved here. I moved here in '91. I as I said, I I'm not joking. I didn't know, I knew Steve Pond, who's a, a local journalist who I assigned some pieces to. I didn't know anybody, but by the kindness of strangers and the kindness of superstar strangers, by within a few weeks, literally like I don't know if it was Tom at first, it might've been his wife, Jane, just took a liking to me. And I was like in their family. I was at my first Christmas in LA. And again, I'm a Jew. So it's not like I'm saying Christmas (laughs) is the biggest deal, but my first Christmas was at the Petty's house, you know, and it's like, I thought it would be rock and roll, 5,000 people. It was like 30 people, including George Harrison, Jeff Lynn, Uh you know, and And a gift exchange. And, you know, and I, and, uh, In any case, yeah, they sort of took me, people took me in. Howie Epstein from the Heartbreakers, may rest in peace, was one of my groomsmen. You know, it was like, uh, I had the weirdest assemblage of friends. Terrence Trent Darby and I were movie best friends. We would go to, we went to see Toys by Barry Levinson twice. I don't think anyone else in the world ever saw Barry (laughs) Levinson's Toys twice. I saw it twice with Terrence Trent Darby. That's how weird my life has been. Have you
1: ever wound up on stage during a concert?
0: Yes. Uh, first ones who ever did it, Run DMC, who I just, wow. when we had the, wow. the hip hop 50th uh, and I blended in perfectly. No one knew I was on. <laughs> sure. uh, it was the when we, when we had the hip hop 50th uh, at the Grammys this year with all, all the stars, I was able to thank them again. But what happened was, there had been, a, I think, a few fights and even a, maybe a killing. At, uh, someone had gotten died at one of their shows. And so I was sent on the road to sort of talk to them about what was going on. And I think it was uh, the Reverend, uh, Reverend, I think, said, come on stage. I want to show you what a crowd is like. And it's actually something I've always stayed with me. They said, a crowd is not individual people they said a crowd is like an animal. And if you look at it from a stage, you will see movements that look almost like you're looking under a microscope at like a, you know, plankton or something. it's like, uh it's moves in a weird way. And you can tell when there's a disturbance. And that's like when there's a fight in the looking down, you see like, uh oh, we got trouble here. So that was the first time. But uh all the time, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen much for obvious reasons. No one's asked me to pick up a juice harp and jam but i will uh one of my closest friends from writing is brad paisley who uh you know is a country star who hosted we did the cmas with he and carrie underwood for many many years and he's a close friend he has a thing where he invites veterans like on stage on a lot of his tours like there's like a bar and he will like honor veterans or other you know, worthy people, but he'll also slip in the occasional friend like me. And like my father-in-law, whose birthday we celebrated on one of the recent tours, like, you know, in the bar with the 400 heroes was, you know, one of the great allergists in Orange County, my father-in-law and, and me, you know, at the bar. So occasionally I'll find my way on stage.
1: That is pretty amazing. We're out of time from run DMC to Brad Paisley. uh, The stunning Uh, and wonderful career of uh, David Wild uh, and we've just scratched the surface in terms of everything from uh, uh, weird award shows, writers rooms to Christmas with Tom Petty Uh, we're going to do it again soon because clearly we're just scratching the surface Uh, David, thank you so much for coming on, Uh, what a blast and uh, uh, let's get you back on soon, thanks David.
0: Thank you guys